Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Ruel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. Three years into the COVID pandemic, some experts believe that we are transitioning to an endemic, headed hopefully toward more normal times. And yet we're still at a loss, we're confused. Where are we with CDC recommendations? When should we be wearing masks? What's the latest advice about vaccines and boosters, especially if we're among the more vulnerable population like older people? What's the latest advice about vaccines and boosters? The development of other treatments, in today's episode, Dr. Francis Santiago Schwartz, a distinguished biomedical scientist and edu- educator, will offer an incisive yet accessible guide to understanding this incredibly complex and developing story of COVID-19. What do we know? What don't we know? And why is it important? Throughout her career, Dr. Santiago Schwartz has focused on creating programs, courses, and professional partnerships and alliances designed to empower people from diverse backgrounds with the knowledge they need to make healthcare decisions for themselves. Today, she'll unravel the immunopathology of COVID, giving us the big picture about variants, providing some answers to frequently asked questions about viruses and how they spread and mutate, and why these, when these mutations make a difference. Dr. Santiago Schwartz will provide a basic primer on how vaccines antibodies, and other components in our immune system to fend our bodies against these viruses. And looking ahead, she'll offer her perspective on potential new treatments for COVID and what strategies we need to stop the virus worldwide, noting that no one is safe until everyone is safe. So now let's meet today's guest, Dr. Francis Santiago Schwartz. Francis, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I'm excited to be here. Great. I'm excited to have you. So listen, before we get into, you know, the state of COVID and where are we, um, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got interested in your journey as a research scientist in immunology from Puerto Rico to New York and LA. So give us a little bit of background. Well, I was born in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. but my family um, came to New York um, when I was only two. So I um, lived in Manhattan, first in the Lower East Side, and then in Brooklyn. Uh And then of all places, we moved to Charleston, South Carolina. Ah, wow. When I was 10. And um, after being there for a few years, um, including the desegregation years, that's another story, Mm -hmm. um, my family returned to Puerto Rico. And there, I entered university at the age of 15. Um, And I... um, went straight into the sciences because I was always a science geek. And um, it was during one of my science labs at the university, I was only 17, when I fell in love with immunology. Hmm. And at the time, um, we were conducting an experiment that you can't conduct anymore because of animal rights um, guidelines. Mm -hmm on guinea pigs and so our professor injected the guinea pig with what i now know to be albumin 
And he injected the guinea pig the first time, nothing happened. The second time the guinea pig wiggled a little bit. The third time the guinea pig just completely went into convulsions and shock and actually died. And I just looked at the instructor and I asked him, what happened? What was that? He said, that was the immune system. That's an mm. immune system response. He went into shock and a phylaxis. And I said to myself, wow, the immune system did that. I want to be an immunologist. And, wow. <laughs> and that's how it happened. Wow. I graduated when I was um, 19 from college. I came to New York. I worked at NYU. Uh, first as a research technician, I, I got my master's while I was working full-time as a laboratory technician, and then I went on to get my um, PhD at the um, University of Southern California in Los Angeles. I had met my husband, and we moved to LA, and while I was a graduate student, I had my five minutes of fame, I discovered a cell type of the immune system. Wow. I discovered human dendritic cells, which are the cells that orchestrate um, the almost the entire adaptive immune response. Wow. So, um, wow. And, and then I went on to to um, study um, autoimmune diseases and um, describe dendritic cell um, development from cord blood progenitors. Wow. And uh, <laughs> and then I left. I left the lab uh, um, right before the pandemic hit, and I was making a transition into global health. So I was over forty-five, and I was reinventing myself. So it's very timely to this program. <laughs> right. Great. That's great. That's great. And, okay. the, and that's how I. Yeah, that's how my journey got me here. That's great. Great story. Great story. So let's, uh, um, I know that, you know, in many ways, I guess, so this, I guess we're going into the third year of the, this evolving pandemic. And, and uh, I know in some ways people are just tired and drained and, um, you know, they're arguing over masks and stuff for it. But I wonder if, if, if still we could just take a, a few moments and say, where do you see us? Where are we sort of in, in overall in, in, in where, where this is headed, do you think? I mean, I think, you know, we, we, you know, we're, we tend to forget, I mean, in the early part of two, 2020, 2020, uh, wow, it was horrible. And I know that, that your, your husband wasn't, was right at the epicenter in Queens of the pandemic. And, and so it's not nearly what it is then, thankfully, but where, where do you see us now in terms of what, where are we and where, which we think about going forward, just in a broad sense, and then we'll get into some more specific issues. Okay, so I guess we'll we'll work backwards a little bit um, mm -hmm. from where we are, from where we started. But I do think it's important to to comment on where we started. Mm -hmm. um, the pandemic was this invisible threat that hit us from behind. We knew nothing about this um, new pathogen. Um, we knew some, we had some knowledge of its lineage because we were able to determine that it was part of the so-called coronavirus family. And we were able to do that because we had the sequence fairly early on. Mm -hmm. And that sequence allowed us to determine its structure. 
So by studying the genetic sequence, we were able to understand what proteins, for the most part, were going to be coded by that, those genetic instructions. So we had that knowledge, but we really didn't know um, anything about how the virus spread or um, how deadly it was or how quickly it would spread or how we could protect ourselves. So moving forward, fast forward, mm -hmm. we now understand so much more about the virus. We know more about the genetic structure, we know more about the mutations, and we know more about um, how to develop um, clinical interventions. But really, our ongoing challenges are in, involve both public health challenges and clinical intervention. Right. right. And that's where we are now. We've made a lot of progress in understanding the science, and we can talk about that a little bit later if you want. Yeah. But, um, but really, uh, we still, we're still in a ethical in terms of uh, public health challenges. And, and that's one of the, the reasons why we say no one is safe until we are all safe, because of, this is a global situation. And it doesn't serve us if we have all the tools in terms of clinical intervention and healthcare systems here in this country, if we don't consider what our neighbors are doing across the globe. Right, right. Yeah, so I'd like to uh, just, um, I think go back and forth a little bit between some broader issues and specific things and talk a little bit about the immunopathology of COVID. And, and I, so I think that, you know, in talking about our, immunological system, which I know in our previous conversations, you've likened it to, you know, this is, this is our body's armies, you know, to defend itself against, you know, invaders. Um, um, and, um, and of course, part of that is also part of, you know, involves, you know, how the vaccines participate in that. So, but before we get into that, I want to ask you, you know, so a lot of the arguments come up between people like who ask, why do we need, you know, we have a vaccine, why do we need another vaccine, why do we need boosters? And some of that I think is interesting that, and I've heard you explain this before about some of it involves understanding the different kinds of genetics of different kinds of viruses, specifically what the RNA viruses versus DNA viruses. If you could just talk a little bit about that in terms of, you know, a quick explainer of why, you know, some develop, uh, you know, variants and need, you know, different kinds of vaccines and boosters and others don't do not. Okay, so I'll try my best because yep. it's super it's, complicated um, right, topic. Right. Um, so as I mentioned before, um, we do know that um, SARS-CoV-2, which is the name of the virus causing COVID-19, uh, that's a disease. SARS-CoV-2 is a member of the coronavirus family. And um, other members are Mar uh, MERS and SARS-CoV-1. And they are deadlier um, than, than this um, SARS-CoV-2, but they, they're not of concern right now. So all these viruses are RNA viruses, and they are single-stranded positive sense RNA virus. What does that mean? That means that you have 
of genetic material in the form of RNA, not DNA, and you have that genetic material entering the cell and immediately making proteins, which is what causes the function, the behavior of the virus. Mm -hmm. And usually the RNA viruses versus the DNA viruses mutate much faster. DNA viruses, for the most part, are more stable. What are some examples of DNA viruses? So some examples of DNA viruses are smallpox, chickenpox, herpes, uh, human papillomaviruses. Okay. And uh, some examples of RNA viruses are polio, mumps, measles. So, so in general, the RNA viruses mutate a lot faster. But what happens with coronavirus? Coronaviruses are very large for RNA viruses compared to other RNA viruses. And instead of mutating, or we thought, instead of mutating so quickly, um, they don't mutate that quickly because they have a repair mechanism built into their genome, their genetic instructions, which means if a mistake is made when copies of the RNA is made, it can be repaired. Mm -hmm. So we didn't expect coronaviruses to mutate that quickly, but that's not what's happening. What's happening is that the virus is mutating at least twice as fast as we originally thought, probably even more. Wow. And um, so far there have been um, 12,000 mutations. I, I had mentioned 2,000, but I got my numbers wrong. Wow. 12,000, I double checked. Wow. 12,000 mutations since um, the original um, virus was um, um, described. And so that means that we are causing variants. That's, that's where we see variants. Now, there are different types of mutations, right? You can have a mutation that um, is beneficial to the virus, allows greater infectivity or immune escape. Um, it's beneficial to the host where you know, the virus doesn't get inside or it doesn't matter. So most of the mutations are nonsense. They don't, they don't matter. But um, when you have that many mutations, see, when you're looking at 12,000 mutations, uh, statistically, you know, you're going to have some that are trouble. So that's what's happening. We're, we're, we're getting, a, uh, we're having trouble because we're not, um, we're allowing that virus to propagate in unvaccinated people, right? And allowing it to mutate. And then that means that it goes back to someone, even if they've had a vaccine and they get sick, but they're not going to get severely sick and they are not going to end up in the hospital. We can talk about the analogy. Do I have time to talk about the analogy? Yeah, let's talk about the analogy. And then if, if we you know, need to take a break, I'll just, we'll just hold your thought and keep going after the break. So let's okay. talk about that. Yeah. So, so we go now into the, to the um, vaccine development. So the vaccines are developed to neutralize the ability of the spike protein, which is what sticks out on the coronavirus, the spike protein, mm -hmm. to its binding to the human cell receptor, which is the ACE2 receptor. Now, 
And so the antibodies will interfere. They'll neutralize, they'll bind to that spike protein so that that spike protein, which is attached to the virus, cannot enter the cell, right? Right. So when you have, when you have mutations, you have a lesser ability of the different army of soldiers of the vaccine. Because when you create a vaccine, you have, you have what's called a polyclonal response, which means you have different B cell clones. The B cells are the ones producing the antibodies, mm-hmm. binding to different areas of that spike protein. Now, the first time you have a vaccine, your immunization, let's say you have 10 soldiers. When you get your second dose, now you have 100 soldiers, because usually it's locked hold increases. When you have your booster, now you have 1,000 soldiers. So the booster, even though it doesn't see the parts that were mutated, you still have some regimens that will see the original spike mm-hmm. protein and right. neutralize it. I hope that makes sense. Yes, yes. So, so yeah. So a lot of hand gestures. Well, yes, but that's no. I think that's a, a fairly direct, um, you know, um, explanation, and I think helpful. Um, and I think that um, uh, yes, the, you can talk a lot more about the specifics. But I think we're gonna we're gonna shift totally. now. Yes, we're gonna shift. Uh, so we're gonna actually, uh, Francis, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break uh, in a few seconds. Um, but we'll, we'll there's be much more to talk about when we come back from the break. Uh, talk about uh, you know there 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 are many issues uh, with respect to you know who's at greater risk and why. Uh, so when we come back from the break, uh, we'll get into all that. So uh, folks, don't go away. There's much more to come with Dr. Francis Santiago Schwartz uh, talking about the coronavirus pandemic and how we can move forward from here. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you fully connected? We're all online in more ways than we can imagine. Our business, our family, our health, and our money are all part of the cyber-connected world, and it's getting more frightening every day. On My Connected Life, host Tyler Cohen-Wood takes you into the exciting world of cyber and shows you what you need to know right now to keep your cyber-connected life safe and your data within your control. Get all the information, the news you need to know, and a lot of fun and surprises. Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Planning for college? 
Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking today with Dr. Francis Santiago Schwartz, a distinguished immunologist, talking about the state of COVID and providing us with some solid, pragmatic information and advice at a time when we're often confused because there seems to be changing information week to week from source to source. So, so, so thanks, friends. So, so we, before the break, we were talking about, you know, vaccines and a little bit about how they work with our immune system. Um, now, I know that, that, that obviously the vaccines are, are not uh, the, the same effectiveness at, with everybody. Um, who, who is, uh, and there, there are certain populations that are more at risk and why is that? I mean, the older people certainly are one of the more vulnerable populations. And then uh, I know that there is some association uh, with uh, COVID and the increased risk of diabetes and also with uh, folks who are, uh, you know, in the obesity category. So talk a bit about the different, you know, risk to different populations and, and why is that? So um, early on in the pandemic, we realized that um, people um, who are elderly or actually not even that old, um, greater than 50 years of age, um, were more prone to develop severe disease. And, um, and that's one of the reasons is because the immune system does um, not function as well as you age. Mm -hmm. So we are still unraveling a lot of those secrets, um, but we do know that there are decreases in the, the um, distribution of certain um, immune cell types um, that affect the immune response. Um, and that help that actually even suppress the immune response in some instances. So then we realized also early on um, that smoking, was a risk factor. Mm -hmm. And some of the science behind that was related to the fact that smoking increases the, the number of ACE2 receptors on the cells in the airway. Um, remember the, the ACE2 receptor is a human receptor that the, the virus utilizes, the spike protein utilizes to bind to a human cell and get it to genomic um, material inside the cell. So, so that was some insight into why um, smoking um, was a risk factor. Then um, there was a, a another um, 
insight into why um, obese people might be um, more at risk for severe disease. And that was related to um, the virus being located in certain cells within adipose tissue, fat tissue. Um, and so scientists found actual virus reservoirs in that fat tissue um, so that it would sort of like sequester itself there and, and then um, and keep on propagating. Um, and then the other thing that we actually um, realized very recently is that there might be a complication of diabetes um, post um, COVID, the long haul, the long COVID so-called um, scenario. Mm -hmm. And that um, there's evidence that that's related to the virus actually um, infecting cells in the pancreas, the island cells, and actually killing them. And that's at least one mechanism. So there and there's there we're so we're learning a lot. See, I can go on. So <laughs> there's also um, the issue of autoimmunity and why mm -hmm. people who are immunocompromised um, with autoimmune diseases may be um, at risk, and that may be related to different reasons. But one of them is related to the medication that they may be on that will compromise their ability to mount a good B-cell response and produce antibodies. Right, right. Yeah, so, you know, we're, we're learning a lot. I, I, in our previous conversation, you mentioned you have a, a thousand articles in your library about this. Oh, and, and, yeah, well, it's, it's, as you've said before, it's a complicated disease. We know very little when it started and we know a lot now. So we are learning and we, we, we're learning every day. So, um, so what are things I- just need to be, uh, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I, okay. I, you know, as a scientist, I am so humbled, humbled by what we don't know and um, what this virus and this pandemic is teaching us right. in terms of what, what it is that we need to focus on and, and learn. Right. Right, right. Now, um, in terms of the vaccine's effectiveness, uh, I, I, obviously it varies from person to person. It's not as effective on some as others. Um, we don't react the same to it. I, I felt that I've been very fortunate. I haven't had any reaction to either of the first two shots or the booster. Um, but I don't think, that, from what I understand, that's a, that hasn't been the norm for a lot of people. But um, when we talk about the effectiveness of a vaccine, how do people, uh, scientists, determine that or, or those doing these studies? I mean, I, I assumed it was just sort of, you know, checking two populations. You, one is vaccinated and one perhaps receives a placebo and looking at the incidence rate of, of, of infection. But is that the way they determine the effectiveness of it? Well, there, there are three... Um terms that are being um, put out there mm -hmm. and they can be very confusing mm -hmm. um, and so there's vaccine efficacy okay which measures the vaccine's capacity to succeed in ideal conditions like the okay. controlled trials so okay. there's an, so when you, when you're talking about efficacy of the Pfizer or the moderna 
um, and they say it was 95% or whatever, um, it's efficacy rate. That is a formula that was used that compared the experimental arm, the ones that were actually getting the, the, the vaccine, right. to a control. So okay. they have a formula, and it's strictly related to that. Then there is the term effectiveness that describes how well a vaccine performs in the real un uncontrolled world when it's given to you or me or whoever. And then, and, and, and so, you know, that there are a lot of variables involved, right? Because we have immunocompromised people, we have smokers, we have variables that perhaps weren't included in the control study of, you know, um, children now. Um, we, we have a lot of different issues. We have um, situations where uh, we're giving it to asthmatic people or, or we're giving it to people who are not as nourished or people who are in polluted areas, you know, all these things. Mm -hmm. All these things in the real world matter. So the uh, effectiveness is, is that. Um, and then some people actually take that a step further and they look at efficiency um, which looks further at the um, measuring outcome in relation to the amount of resources used. So are there, how do the resources available in a particular population um, affect the outcome of the vaccine? So all right. these things. Yeah. So age, all these things. Right, right, right. Now, um, you know, I, I know that there are still people who feel very strongly about not taking the vaccine, um, but uh, I, I think it has been shown to still be the most effective, you know, uh, intervention. Um, but what, what and, and of course now there's a lot of discussion about the masks. So that there are people in New York, for example, and other places there, now we're, you know, they're changing uh, mandates about masks. What are some of your um, observations about um, the effectiveness of various protocols from vaccine to masks to, the, uh, you mentioned things to me like hand washing, um, you know, just simple protocols of protecting yourself and distancing. Right. When this um, whole thing started, I, I realized that there were three Ds, dose, duration, and distance. And a lot of people okay. were, we're talking about that, you know, if you're getting heavy doses of the, of the virus, you're more prone to get infected. If you are 15 minutes or longer, you're more prone. And if you're close, you're more prone. Now with the variants, that's changed because, because these variants are so much more capable of infecting um, a cell that the dose is a lot less than it used to be with the original strain. So, so it used to be, so the spike protein is very um, interesting in that it has two domains. It has the, the what we call the, the, the head, mm -hmm. and it looks like a tulip. And when and it's closed, when it's not activated, it actually has to go through a confirmation of change, of shape shifting, if you would say, hmm. to open up that tulip. Okay. And once that tulip is open, then it will bind the, the ACE2 receptor. Now, 
the original SARS, um, when the virus was produced, a lot of it was closed and there wasn't enough enzyme around because there are cofactors that are enzymes to help open it so that it can bind. But now with the mutants, we have a lot greater number of those virus particles open to it. So you don't need as many to get inside the cell. That's why it's more infectious. That's one of the reasons why it's okay. more infectious. Um, and so where was I going with this? <laughs> <laughs> well, <Got lost. laughs> yeah, we, we were talking about, you know, what, what, what protocols are effective in countering the virus. So, um, okay. <laughs> so, so once it, so once it gets inside the cell, then the virus takes over, right? There are two different ways of getting inside the cell that we know of. One is again, so that tulip is open bound to the receptor on the human cell, right? Mm -hmm. And then the head comes off and then the stalk of the spike protein now fuses with the membrane, the cell host membrane, mm -hmm. lets that virus genetic material in. Okay. And then the virus starts reproducing itself. It takes over the cell's machinery and it reproduces itself. So vaccines are meant to neutralize step one, right? Right. But we also have ammunition that can prevent what's going on inside the cell. And I can talk about that if you want now or later. Sure. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. Since we're there, let's let's go into it. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I okay. So once that virus is inside the cell, so it's RNA, that's genetic instructions mm -hmm. immediately gets translated into proteins which is what is related to the biological function of the virus so that virus is so smart that it, it makes this very long protein polypeptide but it also has encoded an enzyme that will help cut it into discrete functional proteins right that step, I'll call step number two, is what is now being targeted by a new drug. Okay. Developed by Pfizer. Oh no, was it Pfizer? Yes, it was Pfizer. And that's great because it seems to be working. Now, if we didn't have that drug, there are other drugs that are being developed that are downstream of that event where you have the virus RNA being copied because every time you make a new virus particle, a virion, it has this RNA genetic material. So you have to copy it, copy it. One virus can yield up to a thousand new virus particles inside. Wow. So you copy it and that is called an RNA dependent RNA polymerase, that enzyme. So the other drugs that are being developed target that downstream event. So <clears throat> we have ammunition, we have the vaccines, we have the antiviral therapies, right. but we have really good ammunition, which is wearing a mask and washing your hands. Right. Talk about that a little bit more because I think the people say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually 
it's very effective. So talk a bit first about washing your hands. So one of the things that we know from before, from the coronaviruses and its structure, is that the, the genetic material is surrounded by another protein called the N protein, nucleocapsid protein that protects the RNA, tucked in inside like a fat bubble. And that's a membrane. And that membrane was actually stolen from a membrane inside the cell. But what happens with lipid membranes? They dissolve with soap. I mean, it's, it's, it's like one really good thing about this virus is that washing your hands with plain soap and water, the 30-second thing, will just, you know, I have visions in my head of, of the of the membrane falling apart, and then that nucleocapsid protein that's surrounding the RNA, dissociating, releasing that RNA, and then that whole virus particle falls apart. When the RNA is released, there are these enzymes all over the world, the outside world called RNases that destroy the RNA. So we really need to, to wash our hands when we think we touch something that's infectious right. or, you know, um, right. So when we see these scenes, you know, in life or on TV of surgeons and doctors scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing, that's why, because <laughs> it's effective. It works. <laughs> it works. It definitely works. Right. Um, and I think that um, when you understand something like that, I think you you feel empowered because you understand oh, this is why I need to wash my hands. Right. And I think that people are more compliant when they understand why they need to do something. Right, right. So, so uh, we're coming up with another break. Um, so I think uh, we're going to hold up. But I think when we come back, I'd like to talk about the other issues, which is, you know, th uh, that people talk about a lot, which is masking and what, how is that's effective whether different masks make a difference uh, and, and also just, you know, the issue of social distancing, you know, and how that plays into the continued, uh, you know, pressure. So uh, folks uh, don't go away. Uh, we have one more terrific segment coming up with uh, Dr. Francis Santiago Schwartz. Don't go away. Uh, much more to come. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in to Melody Edmondson's The Space of the Waste radio program. This companion piece to her successful guidebook series, The Space of the Waste, focuses on body types and how to make your waist length flattering no matter what your body type is. Guests include designers, merchandise managers, factory owners, and more. You'll also find out what accessories will complement your body shape and waist length. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. 
tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking today with Dr. Francis Santiago Schwartz, a longtime immunologist who's talked to us about we need to, what we need to do to manage and move forward through this pandemic. Um, so before the break, Francis, we were talking about various protocols and, and interventions. We talked about vaccines, and then we talked about washing hands. Let's talk a little bit about you know, wearing masks and other kinds of protections. Um, that, how effective are, is that in terms of, and what should we be doing going forward? So we already talked about washing your hands, which is, right. which is critical, um, especially when you're at high risk. Right. So what masks do, there are different types of masks. And um, I know there was a lot of confusion about the masks. And part of that confusion was related to the fact that early on, we didn't understand how the virus was transmitted. And uh, as, as um, more and more data accumulated, we realized that the, the virus was transmitted via um, people who were asymptomatic mm-hmm. as well as symptomatic. So that was something that, that was a pretty bad case scenario. But we also realized that in addition to droplets, see it's a respiratory virus, so we had a clue that it would be via droplets like, like the flu. But the virus also um, is transmitted via aerosolized mist. So if I'm talking right now and somebody was sitting next to me and I were infected, even though I'm not sneezing or coughing, they would be at risk. I would be infectious. And um, so we realized that uh, certain masks that were cloth masks um, that were homemade were not going to be sufficient because they wouldn't be able to trap, especially the aerosolized um, um, particles. So if you're mask and unmask, that increases the chance of, of protection on, on both ends. Um, 
the way the N95 masks work is that they have different layers and those different layers have different, uh, allow different size particles to go through them, but they also trap via charge interactions um, the, the viruses. Now remember, the virus is tiny, but the virus is not going to be, if it were, it doesn't travel in isolation as a tiny virus. It travels in, in cased in mucus or, or some sort of protein of, of the respiratory secretion and also in an aqueous setting. So, so those particles are much larger than the tiny um, micron size um, virus particle and they will be trapped effectively via those N95. One of the, the issues that people are talking about now is the quality of the mask and, and even surgical masks are a problem because they don't conform tightly to the face and the virus, especially if it's aerosolized, can come in through the sides and infect that way. Another thing that people don't realize is that you have receptors for the virus in the eyes and you can get infected via the eyes as well. Now that's a tough situation to deal with, you know, on a, on a mass level. So what's recommended is that healthcare workers or people who are um, working in situations where they are caring for, um, let's say, an infected person or other high-risk situations, should wear eye protection. I wear eye protection when I fly. Mm -hmm. When I, you know, right, on the right, right, yeah. Well, you know, I, I see many situations now, of course, especially with a lot of big sports venues where, you know, I see people are not wearing masks. I mean, and um, that's just the reality. I think some cases they don't believe in them. Sometimes they're tired. I think sometimes they're just um, basically, you know, assuming there's herd immunity for whatever that's worth. Um, um, but, uh, and I think it's also worth mentioning too that, that you've, that this is a, it's a continuing investigation. And so the, I'm glad you mentioned that there are other drugs in the system, you know, not just vaccines, these drugs that are designed to, you know, intervene at different life cycles of the virus. I think, I think these are important developments and people should realize that we're moving forward. It may not be reported in the newspapers every day, but there's a lot of stuff that's coming out day by day. Um, and, um, you know, I, so I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about, you know, because one of the things that's, that's been important to you that you've mentioned is just your involvement in educating people and educating, you know, creating programs and partnerships and alliances to, to just bring information out there, just like I feel we're doing today. This is what we know. This is what we don't know. This is what's important. This is why it's important. Um, I think it is one of the things you said earlier on I thought is critical is people are more likely to you know uh, make changes that may be inconvenient or or uh, annoying if they know why if they know what the why so talk a little bit about and tell me I've left about some of your programs and uh, you mentioned one program to me previously called the ambassador program perhaps you talk about that but other programs as well and, and and why it's important in terms of your overall philosophy about promoting health equity Right, so my journeys have um, taken me um, uh, into places where um, 
I value and I'm involved with community engagement to address health disparities. And education is a large part of that. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we did early on with the pandemic is that we um, developed a what we called ambassadors program where we had um, pipeline students who were part of the medical school and we it, this was all of course through zoom so we would give them some abcs of the virus and covid what we know what we don't know why it's important um format and we would um follow that um, educational activity with a town hall where the students then asked a bunch of questions it didn't matter just ask whatever you want to you know just ask any question it's okay and we um at the end of the program we made them ambassadors covid ambassadors and some of them were um, undergraduate students and some of them were high school students and they would go back and it really touched us deeply mm -hmm. because they would go back and they would establish clubs even one kid at the university you know like uh, an ambassador club so he would lead it and he would you know mm -hmm. get back to us and ask us questions and and he would then empower in his mind other people, other students, like he felt empowered. And he said, I understand so much now. Um, and of course, yes, it's the tip of the iceberg. Like you just, this is a monster, this is a bear, but every little bit helps. Um, one of the things that I have to say is that globally, um, the world did come together to make vaccines work. Mm -hmm. you know, because it wasn't just the scientists um, coming. So they, they, everybody thinks it was rush, rush. It wasn't rush, rush. The RNA technology is being developed for many years, 10, 12 years. And the lipid technology, which is the fat that the vaccine is, is covering the genetic material for the spike protein, um, that was independently being studied. So those two camps got together and they worked this out. So then they, they worked together, scientists worked together with governments, governments here in the United States, all over the world. And not just the scientists and the pharmaceutical companies and the government, but also those volunteers. There are thousands upon thousands of volunteers who who, who participated in these clinical trials. Without them, we wouldn't have had a vaccine. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot to be thankful for in terms of collaborative um, spirit. And, and I hope that we continue that type of collaboration, that we see the fruits of the labor because vaccines are right now our biggest hope. We have to, we have to stop this virus in its tracks well, we, that's too late for that. But we have to, <laughs> at this right. point downstream, we have to, to stop it from mutating further because as long as it mutates, the, that mutation can represent an advantage to that, for that virus. And our immune system is going to have a really hard time catching up to that mm -hmm. um, advantage. Right, right. Uh, our, so I guess, you know, there are thousands of mutations. So, um, it's not clear where what's beyond Omicron at this point. It, you know, people seem to feel rightly or wrongly, I don't know whether they're just tired, but they're feeling like, well, we're just going to live with this. Um, but it, it seems that it still is important um, 
to uh, continue with vaccinations um, and um, uh, and these other kinds of drugs. I guess there are some other developments with different kinds of pills. I don't know. I don't know enough about them to know are these, uh, you know, sort of do they work the same way as vaccines or are these other kinds of uh, interventions, as you mentioned before, that, that intervene at different points in the, in the life cycle of uh, the virus. Um, uh, is that correct or is that? Um... Yeah, no, you're correct. That's exactly right. So the other drugs that are being developed are independent of vaccine mm -hmm. strategies. It's um, those are preventable. These are actual interventions. So they're there once a person is infected and this, the virus is inside the cell it takes over the machinery it goes through a life cycle so those drugs it interrupt that life cycle at discrete stages right. um and there there are also worries concerning that because those those drugs aren't totally safe right because all drugs have side effects we know right. That. right um but um the vaccines are now safe there's so many people have received a bill for, you know, how many billions of people have received the vaccine and yes there are issues but they're very rare and the, the benefits far outweigh the, the issues that have been reported so um, as long as we can, that's the best tool we have you know, you know the mass and we're tired of that, right? We're tired of that. And I sometimes forget, I go, oh, you know, I, I walk out the, the car and into the supermarket and I go, where's my mask? Oh, you know, right. so right. we're tired. But right, right. We need right. to get vaccinated. Right, right. As an immunologist. Right, right. Well, we're coming to the end of our show, unfortunately. Uh, we could have a lot more to talk about. Um, perhaps I just, I just wanted to actually just mention just in passing um, that that you've, you've told me that. And if you look at my website, roelresources.com, you can see some of Frances's poetry. So some of this is something that, that you know, as she's been involved with partly through the vaccine, just as, as part of your life. And people talk about how do you manage life and what things do you do to, to get through. And so we don't have a lot of time to talk about that, but I thought you could see some of it, her poetry on my Rowell Resources site. Click on 45 Forward. And uh, I just want to tell folks, I, well, first I want to thank you so much, Francis, for a really quick study, <laughs> a crash course in COVID, which I thought was still, you know, very valuable giving us some really helpful information about how to look at the disease and how to understand it without getting freaked out about it. Um, so uh, folks, if, if you missed my conversation with Francis, you can listen to it as a podcast at voiceamerica.com. I just search for my show 45 forward on, and you can find it on Apple and Google podcasts, Spotify, our heart radio, go to my web website, rowellresources.com. Uh, if you want to send me comments, if, if people want to get in touch with you, Francis, is there a contact that you, you're, you're all right with or. Um, well, can they go through you? Yeah, you can go through me and I'll, I'll get in touch with her. If you have any questions for her. I'd be happy to. Great. Okay. Terrific. Okay. So folks, be sure to join me uh, next Monday at 12 noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time. But I'll be talking with Keith Alibone, who's CEO of Goods, Vintage and Antiques. He's going to talk about, give us an inside look at the antique business and also think about how to declutter our homes as we get older of stuff we've, we've accumulated and perhaps discover some unexpected treasures. So until then, folks, 
keep moving forward, 40 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.